You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 47. Hey guys, I hope everybody is having a good week. Happy Monday. We are doing an expert interview today. So today I'm talking to Brooks Vaughn and she is a nurse practitioner. We're going to talk all about women's health. We're talking about fertility counseling and fertility issues, PCOS. I know that's a big um, a big subject that a lot of you guys, a lot of you guys have, and a lot of you guys DM me about. So I really wanted to tackle that and ask her a whole lot of questions about that. So we talk about PCOS, we talk about endometriosis, and birth control counseling, specifically for women who have given birth previously, and kind of what that entails, what that counseling kind of looks like after you have a baby. So Brooks is the founder of the Women's Health Company and a board-certified women's health nurse practitioner with over five years of experience in women's health care. Brooks's passion, just like mine, is to educate, equip, and empower women to become whole and healthy by providing them with evidence-based women's health resources and life-giving encouragement. So yeah, let's dive right into this episode all about women's health. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Hi, Brooks. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and this is such an honor. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? Where are you from? What you do? All that good stuff. Sure, of course. Um, So my name is Brooks Vaughn. I am a nurse practitioner with a specialty in women's health. Uh, I'm married to Skylar, my husband. We have a little, well, he's not little anymore. He's (laughs) like 80 pounds. (laughs) We have a golden retriever named Riggins. Um, He's named after the football star from Friday Night Lights. Oh, cute. Yeah, and we are living right outside of Athens, Georgia in okay. a, a little town called Watkinsville. Everybody from here basically says they're from Athens because it's like five minutes away, <laughs> but yeah. a little more in the country. Yeah. And I am the founder of a women's health company called the women's health company and a really original. <laughs> but, and I also work in, um, dermatology aesthetics, which is something that's new for me. I work with a company called the skin click. So I do like virtual free skincare consults nationwide. And then I do, I'm going to be starting to do once this is all said and done with COVID and quarantine. Yeah. um, uh, Like dermatology aesthetic procedures locally to people here in Georgia. And then I also work in corrections part-time. So do I, you? I go and I do, <laughs> I do. My um my supervising physician and a, a family friend, I work for him and go in a couple of days a week and take care of patients in clinic and local correctional facilities surrounding Athens. And I love it. I mean, if I could pick 
you know, if I had to choose just one thing, I tell you, it would, that would be the hardest to give up because it is such a joy and it's such a challenge all at the same time. So Mm -hmm. no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, that's awesome. Well, today guys, we are doing an expert interview with Miss Brooks and I know you said it in your intro, but your specialty is women's health. So can you just start kind of telling us kind of the typical patients that you see, what your typical day kind of looks like as a, as a women's health, you know, NP? Absolutely. So before we moved to Georgia and I started doing a hundred million different things, I worked in an OBGYN clinic for about five years Mm -hmm. um, in treating, you know, women from you know, anything gynecology related to fertility related to obstetrics. And so a typical day then looked a lot like, you know, every 15 minutes seeing a sweet lady who had, you know, who was in clinic either for an annual exam or who was having pelvic pain or Mm -hmm. had hormonal acne that she wanted to talk through or, something mental health related or um, fertility related or pregnancy. So really it was the whole gamut. And now um, a typical day looks very different. I focus primarily with the women's health company on educating women surrounding all things whole health related, whether that be, like I said, fertility or pregnancy Mm -hmm. or skin or mental health or um, vaginal health, anything like that. And then when I'm in clinic, again, very similar things we talk through. I treat patients for the whole gamut when it comes to women's health related things. And so very cool. Awesome. Well, let's start. I know fertility is something that is almost foreign to me in labor and delivery. I mean, I, you know, we take care of patients who have done, you know, have on IVF or IUI or, you know, this, that, and the other, and it's in their chart, but it's just something that I'm not super comfortable um, talking about because I'm like not super educated about it. So let's start with fertility and talk about fertility. You said that you, you know, counsel people in fertility. You talk about fertility issues. You've seen people with fertility issues. Mm -hmm. So first off, do you do like a lot of fertility counseling? What exactly does that kind of entail? And then what are some common treatment options? Um, Let's say somebody was having issues with fertility and maybe we can even debunk the whole, um, if you're not getting pregnant after three months, you know, that's not really fertility issues. You you know, we can kind of talk about that, but let's just like dive straight into (laughs) fertility. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's, it is such a, I, this fertility, this topic is probably my favorite to talk to patients because it's so personal, you know, and it's so heart level that, and it's also really multifaceted. And so there could be so many different causes of infertility. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, now we, because of, you know, the nature of my work now, I focus primarily on education. So we do have a virtual online educational class mm-hmm. on preconception and fertility. And so it's 90 minutes long and we dive so deep into all of those things related to preconception, 
Mm -hmm. and red flags when it comes to what you might be looking out for if there is an issue with fertility. Um, I have in the past, my favorite thing in my old job with OBGYN care was treating infertility and especially at least starting that process with women Mm -hmm. before we made the decision to send them or while they were waiting um, to be sent to a reproductive endocrinologist. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, as far as fertility goes, you know, typically it can take up to a year for someone who is under 35 and having regular monthly cycles to get pregnant. And that can be really frustrating because, you know, you hear people all the time say, oh, we tried once and then we were pregnant. And I think that that's the expectation that a lot of people have is, you know, I start trying and I'm going to be pregnant in three months. And that really and truly is not the reality for the majority of women. Absolutely. And I think it's even harder for, I was just, who was I talking? Somebody I was talking to this about the other day. Um, But it's even harder for people who are like super type A and super like, okay, I'm going to plan, you know, this, that, and the other, and we're going to start trying now. And it should take about three months to get pregnant. And then when it doesn't, it's like, whoa, you know, and then you start, it's difficult because you start, okay, you start trying and you think, okay, I'm going to be pregnant by this. And I don't really want to plan a trip because I, because I'm probably going to be pregnant or, you know, you start like just planning so far ahead in the future and it's, yeah, it can be really, really, I just, it can be really, really difficult in that, in that, in that, you know, the trying to conceive period for so many women. Yes, you are so right. And it is frustrating. And is. you know, sometimes there can be, you know, I, I, one of the things I love to really sort of talk through with women is, you know, let's talk about how you can tell that you're ovulating mm-hmm. or, you know, we want your cycles to be pretty regular each month. We, a lot of people say, well, my, you know, if my cycle's not every 28 days, if my cycle is more of a longer you know, duration, if it's every 32 or 33 days, is that bad? Does that mean Mm -hmm. there's a problem? Typically with a cycle, with a period, it's really what we are more concerned about is that your cycle, your period doesn't fluctuate by more than one to two days in length. Okay. So say you have a 31 day cycle. So the first, the start of your period one month, the first day, cycle Mm -hmm. day one, to cycle day one of the next period, we typically, if it was 31 days apart, the next month, it's okay if it's 32 days apart or 33 days apart Mm -hmm. or 29 or 30 days apart. But if it varies by length and how far apart it is, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. by more than two days, um, so say you one month have a 28 day cycle and then the next month have a 35 day cycle. And then Mm -hmm. the next month have a 30 day cycle. And then, you know, if it's varying by more than one to two days every month, that's when I usually say, yeah, you know, you certainly still could be ovulating. That's Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, a possibility, but we definitely want you to come on in and just be evaluated if that's what's going on. But if they're every 31 to 33 days apart or 29 to 30 
one days apart. That's pretty, that's pretty good. And then as far as, you know, it's, it's interesting because some people really do need to come in before that one year mark if they're under 35. Right. And so, I mean, yeah, if they're under 35, so if your periods are irregular or if you're having irregular bleeding between your cycles, or if you're having zero signs of ovulation, meaning you're not having any change in your cervical mucus, Mm -hmm. um, typically around ovulation, women have like egg white like consistency with their cervical mucus or, you know, they'll try an ovulation predictor kit and and Mm -hmm. test those things to see if they're ovulating. Um, Those are reasons why I typically say, you know, if you're, if you are concerned and you're not having any signs of ovulation or your periods are wonky or anything like that, go on in and, Mm -hmm. and don't wait that full 12 months because we could start evaluating you much sooner so that you're not wasting time. Mm-hmm. But if your periods are regular, you're getting those cervical um, mucus changes or you're getting a body temperature rise after mm-hmm. you ovulate, which we could dive into that for hours. Um, yeah. Take the class because it's super helpful. <laughs> but those are things where I typically, you know, will say, Getting those things, periods are regular. It it can certainly take a solid year. Yeah. Um, and that's to, news guess, to so many people. Everything is totally normal. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you are over 35, we typically say don't give it more than six months okay. because time is ticking a little bit faster. Okay. You know? And so we want to make sure that women um, are evaluated, even if nothing is wrong, are getting those evaluations in to make sure that we don't need to be more aggressive with treating sooner. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Going back to when you were talking about the one to two day, um, it like, you know, fluctuating one to two days versus like four five, six, you know, days. I, that is news to, I had no idea that that was not normal if it's outside of that because that's how I am and I thought I was always like fairly I when I when I say I have regular periods I'm like okay you know some days sometimes it's 27 or 28 days sometimes it's 32 33 days but like it's always you know pretty like normal and it took with this baby um that I'm pregnant with right now it took us it took us six cycles I think which is again not you know anything crazy crazy but mm-hmm. yeah, that is really interesting. I didn't know that that was. And you know, that, that, and people can certainly still get pregnant. They could yeah. certainly still be ovulating. Absolutely. But, and st- so many things, especially like with you being a nurse in the hospital, I see, you know, when, when sleep cycles change a couple days a week, that yeah. can throw your periods off a little bit. Yeah. And it's, Still doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not ovulating, but yeah, that's typically when I will say, you know what, if that's the case, come in, you know, if you're trying to conceive and you're concerned about it, come in and have your thyroid tested. We could always, I mean, why that. not? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, Hey, like, why not? So, and that brings me to another question. So if this is, say this is me. Okay. And I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to try, you know, these are kind of my periods. Like, you know, I am kind of maybe having some signs of ovulation, but not really sure what, it, 
how do you, what do you guys do? So if I schedule an appointment and I say, Hey, um, not really sure what's going on, but these are my periods. Like what kind of inter- interventions or I guess what kind of questions maybe else would you ask somebody at that point? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So if you came in and you said, you know, my periods are very fluctuating, they'll be 28 days and then 35 days or 34 yeah. days. And then typically we would start simple you know, obviously Mm -hmm. by asking you, I would ask you, okay, what medications are you on? Have you a history of a thyroid disorder? Mm -hmm. Um, what does your sleep cycle look like? Mm -hmm. You know what, because that can be, or stress levels, those play huge roles in your periods. I would ask, are you getting any signs of ovulation? You know, like, changes in your cervical mucus or cramping on one side. Um, or, you know, if you're checking an ovulation predictor kit, are you getting positives? Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the answer to those, or you said no, typically I would start with a cycle day two, three, or four. Um, this is a, this is kind of an extensive workup. So a lot of times I'll say, you know, we could start with just a thyroid level, mm-hmm. check your blood count to make sure you're not anemic, your white blood cell count's normal, mm-hmm. check your liver and kidney function, just sort of as a precautionary thing. And then check a cycle day 21 progesterone level just to see if you're ovulating. I'll explain okay. that in just a second. Okay. But um, but an extensive workup would be, you know, depending on where you are in your cycle when you come in for a visit, say you're you know, at the end of your cycle and you're Mm -hmm. about to start your period again, Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, come back to the lab on cycle day two, three, or four. And we check a TSH, which is a thyroid stimulating hormone. That's just kind of included. That's always something I test in women who were looking at fertility stuff. We check an estradiol level, which is testing your estrogen. We want to make sure that it's within a normal range for that early phase of your period. Okay. Um, We check a follicle-stimulating hormone, which is from your brain to stimulate your ovaries to actually produce a mature egg. So early in a cycle, we really don't want to see that follicle-stimulating hormone super, super high. Okay. Because that means that your brain's working extra hard to get your ovary to produce a mature egg. And we see Hmm. high FSH levels in women who are peri and postmenopausal because their brains are, you know, trying to get those ovaries to work and the ovaries are sleepy. Mm -hmm. And so we, we test those, um, those are kind of the simple ones. And then we check a cycle day 21 through 25, somewhere in there, depending on the length of your cycles, progesterone. And why we test that is progesterone levels rise after an egg is released from your ovaries. So after you ovulate, that um, I, I, I say our ovaries are almost like a little factory mm-hmm. and they produce a mature follicle, which is you know, we call it an egg, but it's, it's, we call it a mature follicle. And when that follicle opens and releases an egg, 
when it opens, the follicle actually turns into what we call a corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum produces progesterone, which basically helps our uterus. It, it helps um, with our uterine lining to become nice and plump mm-hmm. and plush for a fertilized egg to, to implant. And it helps uh, feed a pregnancy early on. And so we see those progesterone levels rise, you know, typically a couple days after you've ovulated. So we usually believe most women ovulate somewhere around cycle day 14. And so seven days later is when we check that progesterone to see, um, see if it is elevated. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for the science lesson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that really does kind of help us know, okay, yeah, yeah you ovulated or no, you didn't, or, Hey, your thyroid is off or, Hey, your, your brain is working super hard to try to get you to ovulate. So there may be something going on here. Right. Um, right. You know, and then if everything is normal and someone really has been going for a long, trying for, you know, that allotted time, that year amount of time and, you know, they're not pregnant. Then we do more, um, I would say investigative physical workup where we look at the ovaries with an ultrasound. We look at the uterus with an ultrasound and then we do something called an HSG, which is a hysterosalpingogram, Mm -hmm. which is where we actually inject dye into the uterus. And we want to make sure we can see your fallopian tubes. Um, and we want to make sure that the dye floats through those fallopian tubes and out um, into the pelvis. And, and that's telling us that the fallopian tubes aren't blocked okay. and preventing an ovary, I mean, an egg from getting to the uterus to be fertilized. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of the female workup in general that we do. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, how about briefly, let's talk about male. So like yeah. your partner, what would you do? Cause that's, that's half of it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the other half. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. In our, um, I call we call it our pre-bump prep class. Mm-hmm. I almost always recommend that male partners, when you are just starting to try to get pregnant, that they just go for a physical just to mm. get, you know, their, their lab work up to make sure their blood pressure is normal. And quite often guys don't like this, but at a physical, especially, you know, when men are in their thirties and up and most, some providers will do it in their mid to late twenties, mm-hmm. um, is a testicular exam. Yeah. And there can be some value to that just as you're, you know, starting to try to conceive if the provider finds an issue, you know, like something called a varicose seal. We talk about varicose veins in women. A varicose seal in a man is is sort of like a varicose vein. Okay. Um, and it can be associated with fertility issues. It's, it's rare, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if a male partner has something like a varicose seal that they a lot of times don't even know about because it's right. not painful. Right. Um, I will tell a patient, okay, you know, the chances are there's going to be no issues here, but in this case, since we know that there might be something, 
they could either go ahead and have a semen analysis, or if you're not pregnant within three to six months versus waiting a full year, mm-hmm. then let's go ahead and do a workup on him. And that, that, that is a semen analysis. Gotcha. Um, yeah, gotcha. not fun okay. for guys, but <laughs> well, you know, you know, if you got to do it, you got to do it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next kind of issue. Talked talked about fertility extensively. Um, and that was very educational. So, so thank you very much for that. Um, so let's talk about something that I get a lot of questions about that I'm also not again super educated on. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of pe- a lot of my followers, a lot of people bring up PCOS, especially when they're trying to conceive or you mm-hmm. know, when they're pregnant or when they're breastfeeding you know, you can run into issues. So can you, first of all, you know, see, see women with PCOS, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, and kind of tell us exactly what PCOS is and what kind of issues or tips, you know, for conceiving, um, if somebody had, you know, the diagnosis of PCOS. Absolutely. So PCOS is a, it's a, it's a syndrome, polycystic Mm -hmm. ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And we, we use the term syndrome because we see, it's sort of like a spectrum. We see all sorts of variations of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But typically in general, to have a diagnosis of PCOS, pretty universally medical professionals use something called the Rotterdam criteria, which is where We basically say to have a diagnosis, a patient must have two of the three characteristics that we see with PCOS. One is something called oligomenorrhea, which basically means that you have irregular periods. So you could have um, periods, you know, one month and then six months later have another period and then three months later have another period. They're just Mm -hmm. very sporadic. Mm-hmm. The second thing is hyperandrogenism, which is where we just see elevations in testosterone levels or DHEA levels. Mm-hmm. A lot of women will notice symptoms of that, like facial hair or dark chest hair or hair kind of growing up to their belly button okay. or acne um, or kind of deepening of their voices. Those are usually symptoms of elevated testosterone levels or androgen levels. Um, and then the third thing is polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound. A lot of people think, oh, well, if I have a cyst on my ovary, um, I have PCOS. And that's not the case. It really doesn't mean the term is confusing because it really means multiple follicles on your ovaries, not necessarily cysts. So if we looked at somebody's ovaries on an ultrasound that had PCOS, not always, but a lot of the times, we will see it'll almost look like a chocolate chip hmm. cookie, not a chocolate chip, a chocolate chip cookie where we'll see lots of follicles um, or like a string of pearls around the ovary where you'll just see where there's lots of immature yes. eggs that just have never been released from the ovary. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard, the string yep, of pearls before. String of mm-hmm. pearls, yeah. Yep. So that's sort of the diagnostic criteria, meaning, you know, to have – a, a true, yes, we can say with confidence that you have PCOS. We like to see two of the three of those. Okay. Some people have all three. Some people don't. Um, 
But then as far as like trying to conceive, you know, a lot of women get pregnant on their own with PCOS who are having monthly cycles and are ovulating. Mm -hmm. So PCOS doesn't necessarily mean you're not, you're going to have infertility issues, but if you're not ovulating every month, yes, you're going to have trouble getting, you know, getting pregnant may take a little bit longer. Um, so we typically with that women who have a known history of PCOS, I usually, when they are starting to try to conceive, a lot of times I will say, you know, it's up to you. If you're not pregnant in three months, come on in and let's do some testing. Um, or we can just run a progesterone level if you're having monthly cycles um, to see, you know, what that level looks like to see if you're ovulating. Or if you're not having cycles that are regular, that usually is like, mm, don't don't waste your time at home. Come on in and have your doctor or your nurse practitioner or your midwife or your PA talk to you about options um, of treatment. And a lot of times that involves what we call ovulation induction, mm-hmm. which is where women take a medication like Clomid or Femara. Those are mm-hmm. the top, those are the two that we use um, quite frequently. And they take them just for the five days at the beginning of their cycle. And that can help stimulate a mature egg to release. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's sort of the, in a, in a nutshell, yeah. that's sort of what it looks like with PCOS. And I always recommend women who have PCOS to really work with a registered dietitian who oh. is very um, just educated when it comes to women's health and hormones and PCOS, because I have seen women turn things around just, you know, just with diet, exercise, and supplementation alone. Um, one of my favorites, I, I'll put a plug in here for her yeah. because I think she's incredible. Her, her Instagram account is the women's dietitian. Um, and her name is Corey and she is just incredible. She has PCOS and she focuses primarily on PCOS. And so, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> go follow Corey. Everybody. Yes, go follow PCOS. Corey. She is incredible. And I'm pretty sure she sees patients nationwide. Oh, cool. I'm pretty sure she does. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, didn't know a lot of a lot of that information about PCOS. I know whenever somebody says PCOS to me, I'm like, yeah, I kind of know what it is, but I don't really know what it is. And I know sometimes <laughs> you guys have issues with fertility and and even with breastfeeding too. A lot of times people have a, a lot of issues with like milk supply and breastfeeding because you kind of use the same hormones um, getting pregnant that you do, you know, with, with breastfeeding. So I know that, but yeah, thank you for that. So let's go on to the next, um, topic. The next one is endometriosis. And I know this is fairly, well, you can tell me if it's fairly common or not. I feel like it's, it's kind of common. Um, so can you just talk about what are some of the common issues that women face if they have that diagnosis of endometriosis and kind of typical treatment plans? I know, I know a lot of times or I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know with endometriosis, you do need like an invasive, um, like to have a, a clear diagnosis of endometriosis, you need like an invasive procedure. Is that, am I pulling that out of somewhere or like, is that completely wrong? <laughs> Let's correct. talk about endometriosis. <laughs> you are correct about okay. that. There's, there's, it's very, you know, sometimes I will say this, sometimes to, you know, 
women who have ultrasounds, we can detect maybe that there's possibly this possibly, is what it is. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you can see on an ultrasound where like the ovary looks stuck to the uterus. Right. Like it looks like right. it's stuck from like an adhesion. Um, but usually the diet to have to reach a true diagnosis, you have to have what we call a lap is a laparoscopy, which is where they go in through your belly button and they look with a camera. Um, and basically what endometriosis is, is it's the idea that endometrial cells. So if you think about the uterus, the inside lining of the uterus that we shed every month when we have a period is called the endometrium. Mm -hmm. And the thought is that, you know, there are several theories as to how this is, this happens, but there is a thought of something called retrograde bleeding. So where women, you know, have heavy, heavy periods or somehow with the periods each month, those endometrial cells, that inside lining of the uterus, those cells kind of spill out into the pelvis too, versus, you know, just coming out of the vagina. Um, and they cause what we call adhesions. So if you ever even, I, mean, I don't even know, I'm sure it's on Google, <laughs> but if you look inside a woman's pelvis who really has a diagnosis of endometriosis, it looks like, and not, there are severity, there are levels of severity too, mm-hmm. um, which is why early treatment is really important. Um, but it almost looks like they have little spider webs throughout like their pelvis on their bowel. A lot of times endometriosis or endometrial cells can kind of tag onto the bowel or on the ovary or on the bladder. Um, and so the most common issue is painful periods, Mm -hmm. um, pain with sex, um, you know, pelvic pain in general is usually the number one thing that we see with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Some women have issues with bowel movement, you know, there can be all all kinds of things that we see, but pelvic pain is the number one. Sometimes fertility issues can actually come into play if there's scarring, you know, of the ovaries or the fallopian tubes. So yeah, typically for treatment, um, it varies on, on, you know, we want to treat the symptoms. So we want to really reduce that pelvic pain. So a lot of times providers will first start with hormonal treatment like oral contraceptive pills to, you know, reduce period bleeding, um, to reduce prostaglandins, which are pain sensors that are kind of produced during your period. Mm -hmm. Um, IUDs are another great option. So really anything hormonal has been proven to really not only help with symptoms, Mm -hmm. but reduce the severity um, of of endometriosis because we're reducing bleeding. we're, We're preventing those endometrial cells from, you know, spilling out into the uterus. Um, so yeah, you'll see people who have endometriosis find great relief with IUDs like the Mirena. Um, you'll see people find relief with birth control pills or the NuvaRing or the patch or sometimes even Depo-Provera or the arm implant called the Nexplanon. Um, 
the next step of treatment though is surgical removal. We call yeah. it lysis of adhesions is the fancy name for it, but gotcha. surgical removal. But the thing about that is once those adhesions are removed, we've got to prevent them from coming back. And so that's mm-hmm. when you'll see, you know, physicians and, and other women's health providers really urge women to use a form um, of treatment like a birth control method to reduce bleeding, to okay. prevent um, progression of endometriosis. Gotcha. And I think this is a good transition to the next question because we're going to talk about birth control. But I wanted to ask, um, so what if I've been, you know, I have endometriosis and I've been on birth control and then I'm getting maybe to a point in my life where I'm over 35 or maybe I'm, maybe I'm not like a great candidate for birth control anymore. Um, and I threw the, the over 35 thing out, but I mean, let's say if, let's say you're a lot older and that's not an appropriate treatment or you're a smoker or, you know, you have some kind of contraindication for birth control. Is there another, uh, treatment? that you recommend or is it, or I guess, what do you, what would you do in that situation? Great question. You know, it varies. There's women choose a lot. There are several different options available to women. The good news is most women are even over 35 are not contraindicated to the progesterone option that I, and that still helps. And that it actually, in my opinion, works even better okay. because um it's low it's acting locally it uh-huh. usually um it keeps the uterine lining thin to where a majority of women don't have periods at all okay and so a lot of women do really well with that up through menopause mm-hmm. so it's almost like having something like an endometrial ablation where they go in and burn the endometrial cells um to not have a period basically so a lot of times the f- the main recommendation is if, Hey, you know, estrogen, especially may not be if you're a smoker or you're over 35 and a smoker or you have high blood pressure or you have clotting issues. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we'll say, you know, consider the Mirena IUD. Um, there's also the option of something called an endometrial ablation where they go in and burn the uterine lining. Not always, you know, it just depends on, you know, where those, endometrial cells are and the severity of, of endometriosis, like I said, going in and removing the adhesions from, you know, the pelvis with surgery is another option. Um, there's also the option of, there's something called Depolupron, which is, it basically puts you into a temporary menopause and it stops. Um, interesting. I've never heard of that. And it can sometimes help, uh, you know, as a, as a treatment to kind of get people ready for surgery. Um, and then off, obviously, you know, if you're like, I've done everything, right. I am finished having kids or, you know, don't want children. I don't want a pregnancy. Um, there's the option of a hysterectomy. Um, so true. true. Didn't yeah. think about that. And that would fix it. Right? It would, it would. <laughs> I mean, that certainly some people get to that point of where they're like, I'm yeah. done. I'm totally done. And that is totally an option. I worry sometimes, you know, a lot of times we'll try to prevent hysterectomies if possible. Um, especially yeah. in women, because sometimes, you know, if you think about it, 
the way that our anatomy goes, our uterus is really holding things up. And so if there's no more uterus, sometimes we'll start to see over time, especially if you're really young when you have a hysterectomy, um, we'll start to see the bladder fall down a little bit Mm -hmm. or the bowel fall down. And so, you know, I've seen people come in and, and say, I'm finished having kids. I'm 35. I just want a hysterectomy. I don't want to have periods anymore. And I'm always kind of like, well, let's think through that first. Let's make sure (laughs) that this is really what's best for you because there are some potential long-term things that you need to think about. Yeah, no, totally. That that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we're talking about no uterus. <laughs> let's talk about um let's talk about some birth control and birth control yeah. counseling because I'm sure as working in women's health you you talk to a lot of people about birth control and so can you kind of go over typical counseling that you would give somebody um why don't we pick somebody who let's see where most of my listeners are either pregnant, so they don't need birth yeah. control right now, <laughs> but yeah. most of my listeners are pregnant and about to have a baby. And then they eventually, you know, probably not want to prevent, probably not want to get pregnant right away after ha- some people do, I'm sure. But, um, so let's maybe do some counseling best options, you know, for birth control counseling, after you have a baby, after you have your first baby or your second baby, what would, what's your best recommendations and how would you counsel somebody? Absolutely. That's a great question. It's so fun (laughs) to talk to women about it because yes, it's super, you know, I think it's important for women, even, you know, when you're pregnant, you're thinking about all the things that are coming along with delivery and postpartum, but having a conversation with your provider you know, even while you're pregnant about, Hey, what are some options? What are, you know, here's what I'm thinking, making sure your provider's on board with that, because we certainly want to make sure that, you know, you're covered if you need coverage. Right. right. Um, and so really, and truly it depends on preference. Obviously breastfeeding is something that we like to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. I typically, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some studies that are now showing that combined hormonal contraception, which is the pill, the patch, and the NuvaRing, which that, that means they have estrogen and progesterone, mm-hmm. um, doesn't impact milk supply. There's there's still a body of belief that it certainly can because mm-hmm. estrogen typically is suppressed when you're breastfeeding. Um, and so usually we try to stick to, at least within the first several months postpartum, either progesterone only options if women are breastfeeding or non-hormonal options. Um, So my first question usually with a postpartum mom or a mom, a a soon to be mom who's going to be needing birth control is, okay, are you going to be planning on breastfeeding? If so, let's talk about the progesterone based or the non-hormonal options first. Okay. I there I usually go from least invasive to most invasive yeah. <laughs> when it comes to options. Yeah. So there is a progesterone only pill. Um, we call it the mini pill. It works by thinning the uterine lining, thickening cervical mucus so that sperm can't travel up mm-hmm. um, to fertilize an egg. And um, you have to take it at the same time every day. If you miss right. it by more than a few hours, you can certainly get pregnant. And so it's, it's 
a harder one with new moms because you have so many things that you have to be, you know, you're, you're sleep deprived. You're focusing on keeping a little human alive. Um, so it, it, it's certainly one that I worry a little bit more about and people who may have a little bit of a hard, harder time being diligent and consistent with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly is a good option for, for, you know, someone who's wanting non-invasive, you know, options yeah. that aren't going to affect milk supply. And I'm trying to think like, I don't think I could, I could do that one. <laughs> like I'm just yeah. thinking about what oh, life yeah. is like with a newborn. And I'm like, yes. yeah, I guess, I guess I could set my alarm on my phone and it could go off. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there would be a few hours go by and, or I don't have it with me. I'm out and I don't, you know, something like that. Yeah. I wouldn't have it. So yeah. yeah, I think you're like, you said it good, good intentions, like very good option, but you know, possibly like not realistic for that, like immediate (laughs) kind of period. Exactly. (laughs) And you know, some people say, well, I will use protection. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'll use condoms and this will be, you know, it'll be, I'll have two forms. And so that's great. Um, And then the next option would be the, you know, arm implant, which is the next Mm -hmm. one on, it goes Mm -hmm. right under the skin. It's good for three years. Um, a lot of women love it because they don't have a period. Most of the time, a lot of women don't have periods with it or have very light periods or periods here and there. Um, the most common side effect and the, the number one reason why we take it out is a lot of women do have just irregular bleeding with it. Okay. So that is something that, um, you know, after about three to six months, if people are still having irregular bleeding with it, we usually say, "Ah, oh, we probably should try something else because it's certainly a common, common issue that we see. And then the next option is, um, the IUD, which mm-hmm. I love the IUD in postpartum women, especially because you, especially if you've had a vaginal delivery, it's really easy to place. Mm-hmm. Um, and even after a C-section, it can be pretty easy to place and it's good for five years. The progesterone based IUD that we recommend the Mirena, mm-hmm. it's good for five years. It thins out the uterine lining to where most women don't have a period with it. Um, and it's 99.9% of It's super effective. Um, and you don't have to think about it with a right. newborn, which is right. really, nice. and it's not, it's not going through your whole system like the right. pill would be. And then there's also a, a non-hormonal IUD that I also love. It's called the Paragard and it has copper. So it acts as a spermicide. So it doesn't have any hormones okay. in it. So it I was just, just going to ask about the two, cause I know there's two, you know, usually two different types. I was just going to yep. ask because I've never, I know there's the copper one and then there's Marina, but I don't, yep. don't exactly yep. know the difference. So <laughs> yeah, the crazy thing about the copper one is it's good for 10 years. Wow. And wow. it just kills sperm. It creates sort of like an inflammatory environment in the uterus. And it's 99. I mean, it is it is the most effective method of birth control on the market, aside from having your tubes tied and having a hysterectomy. Right. Um, but the, the one thing that we see quite often with that, because it does create a bit of an inflammatory response is heavier, more painful periods. So it's not great for women who have bad periods in the first place. Now, a lot of women who breastfeed don't have periods at all and they love it because they still don't get a period with this. Yeah. Um, So, so that's another great option. 
The depo shot is one I don't like <laughs> in postpartum women. Uh-huh. In particular, I will say for people who, you know, these other options aren't a good fit and they just want to go in three, you know, every three months for a shot, uh-huh. it's great birth control. But the number one side effect with it is weight gain. And so, you know, when you're postpartum, a lot of women are like, yeah. I don't want to gain 30 pounds because of birth control. I'm trying to yeah, baby weight off. So that's kind of the one where I always am very leery of women going on it because I always say, you know, there is a chance that you, I mean, people can gain upwards of 30 pounds with the shot. Wow. So, um, and the return to fertility with the shot can take up to a year, sometimes wow. longer. So it's got a little bit more of negative side yeah, effects. Yeah. Most. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little yeah. bit more negative. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I didn't know that about the shot. Yeah. Um, and I know, I mean, I think, gosh, I think probably, and you said it is the most common is the IUG um, mm-hmm. after you have a baby. Cause I feel like, so that's just, that's just kind of what you do. <laughs> you know, if you're looking yeah. for birth control, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think we kind of covered everything. Yeah, <laughs> that you. was a big, fun. that was a big, a um, <laughs> I know it was a lot. And I'm looking back at the topics and I'm like, I guess we, 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 you know, it was a, usually with people, I'm like, let's talk about this, you know, 12 questions or something, but these topics that we talked about were so in depth. So I appreciate you just like going on, you know, really, really super in depth answers on, on these, um, on these topics that we just, that we just covered. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I've just been a huge fan for so long. (laughs) Well, good. Yeah. Happy to have you on. Can you, um, tell people, and I know you're socially out there, so can you tell people if they want to follow along or if they want to get in touch with you or any way in any way, can you drop your links or if you have an Instagram or website where people can kind of follow along and find you? Sure, sure. So on Instagram, I am, you can find me at the women's health company. Okay. Um, that's where we do most of our education. And um, yeah, every day we post something about women's health. So it's really fun. Yeah. And then, and then I also just me personally am at Brooks B Vaughn underscore NP. Okay. Um, that's where you can find me too. And then online, our website is thewomenshealthcompany.com. Awesome. So we, yeah, we have classes and free skincare consults and fitness classes too. So I'd just love to do it all. All of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Brooks, for coming on. Well, thank you so much to you too, Liesl. This was so fun. Yeah. All right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast, so I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. 
I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.